Hello, everyone. Tim Winders here. Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. And uh, I'll tell you, we're going to have an interesting conversation today because I get to stretch myself. I kind of like it when I'm a little uncomfortable doing research, when I'm talking to someone who comes from a different background or uh, just a different perspective. And uh, and so today is no different. I mean, it, we're going to get into a conversation of, I don't know if, know if the term is diversity. I don't know if it's, you know, dealing with things that relate to race and racism. That's a pretty heavy word, but I think it kind of will skirt on that. And I am, uh, again, like I said, at times I'm a little uncomfortable having this conversation myself which I like, but I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. I'll get to our guest in just a moment. We are just coming off a celebration where we've crossed over our 200th episode here at Seek Go Create and continue to have tremendous resources available. Make sure that especially for this episode, uh, the, the guest has a book out and we're going to discuss a lot of resources and all. Make sure that you go to our website at seekgocreate.com and check out all the notes and everything so that you can uh, get links to everything that we talk about here. So today we have Carice Anderson, and let me just give you a short bio, then we're going to talk more about details. She is the Director in Leadership and Manager Development for a Leading Asset management firm. And when I say leading, I mean leading asset management firm. One of the big, big dogs that's out there right now. She has an MBA from Harvard and has worked for a number of companies that are big companies that you would know, Deloitte, McKinsey, et cetera, things like that. And she comes highly, highly educated, rated. I'm excited to talk about uh, just so many things with her and lives in Atlanta, Georgia, my old hometown, which I was just at recently. Carice, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much, Tim. I am super excited about this conversation. Thanks yeah, for having think, me. I think we're going to have fun here. I'm I'm kind of, if I'm a little bit timid here, uh, because I know we're going to stretch stretch myself and stretch some people here. So, hey, Carice, before we get started, what um, what do you do? You and I bump into each other somewhere in Atlanta there. I was just uh, in Marietta for about a month. Uh, doing some stuff with uh, my mother-in-law, helping her and her health issues and all. Um, but let's just say we're somewhere in Atlanta. We bump into each other and I say, what do you do? What do you tell people when people ask that? Well, I answer it in two ways. I think the first way I say is my day job, which is to help support and develop people managers across the globe. In my spare time as an author um, of this book that we're going to talk a little bit about, I say that I democratize access to unwritten rules of success in high-performing environments. That is really my mission. I say that I actively try to empower people to be able to know themselves better, to know other people better, to know their environments more thoroughly so they can have more fun and more impact at work. And uh, why is that topic important? in the world we're in today? You know, we spend a lot of time at work. I think that we spend more time at work than we probably do with our spouses, children, families, closest friends. And I'm just of the mindset that it needs to be a positive experience. And the thing is, if we're not actually at work, we're at home thinking about work, we're, you know, getting ready to go to work, we're driving to work, like a lot of our lives and our time centers around work. And so I just think it should be fun and we should be making a difference. And that's that's why it means so much to me. And I think also because I've been in situations where I wasn't having fun, you know, I, I wasn't enjoying the work that I was doing or sometimes the people I was doing it with. And some of that's on me, right? Um, but I, I want to share lessons learned so that people don't suffer in the same way I suffered and make the same mistakes I made. I'm like, go make new mistakes. Don't make the same ones I made in 1998. <laughs> what's, what's fascinating, uh, you brought up something that just popped in my head. So I'm going to kind of ask a little bit of a follow-up. You said, you know, that fun, and, and I think we're using the word fun. There's probably a lot of deeper issues that we can kind of address here, but fun is a little bit of a, uh, a light word we can use here. I, I, I do wonder at times how much of it is, like you said, on me. 
because mm. my wife and I just, I was spending time in prayer this morning. In fact, just kind of talking to the Lord going, it's been an interesting start to 2023. <laughs> you know, there's been a lot going on. If one just looks at the news, there's a lot going on. And then we've had a lot going on with our family. We just had to spend a, a, a month in Atlanta area helping up ailing uh, her mother that's not doing extremely well physically and all. And, and it's just been fairly fatiguing. And we kind of asked ourselves similar question that you just kind of brought up. Is that on us? I mean, because stuff's going to be going on all the time, right? Yeah. So, so how much of it is, how much of the um, air quotes here for those that might be listening, how much of the fun that we have in our life is on us and how much, how much of it is directly related to the environment, the culture, the, the situation we put ourselves in all of that. How, how much should we put on ourselves? I look at it like, you know, any relationship, I feel like we all have to meet each other halfway. You know, I can go my 50% and, and do my very best and work on myself and work on my mindset and work on how I approach different situations and be a more strategic thinker, but I can only go but so far, right? And so I think the the people that we're dealing with, the situations that, that we're, we find ourselves in, they kind of got to meet us halfway. And sometimes I think we have to be okay with, you know, maybe it won't be 50-50, maybe it might be 70-30 or 80-20. Yeah. You know, um, but hopefully the on balance, you can get 50-50 when you look across the the duration of your life or, or whatever that relationship is. But yeah, I think, you know, the thing, and that's what I tried to talk about in my book is let's focus on the things we can control and that we can influence. Because outside of that, it's kind of futile and it can be really frustrating if we're constantly trying to change other people. I mean, you're married, you know. <laughs> You, I was can't say, change, yeah. you can't change your spouse, right? But you can change how you show up in the situation and the words yeah. that you say and how you behave and hope that that encourages the other person to think about how they can show up differently as well. Yeah, and that's about as much as we can do. We're coming up on 35 years that we've been married. I've been together a little bit longer than that even. And even this morning we were having a conversation and I kind of held her hand. I said, sweetheart, I'm so sorry if I am not treating you with honor and respect. And so I'm actually going to argue just a smidge with the percentages yeah. you mentioned earlier. I think in most relationships, it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Cause if I give yeah. 50 and you and I are, and you give 50, yeah. the 50 that you and I really need to connect and do the business or whatever that we're doing might be the 50 I'm not giving you. <laughs> And so in marriage, this is just me giving a little marriage talk here. Yeah. I think it's a hundred. You better give a hundred, baby. I definitely think in a marriage though, I think everybody has to come whole or trying to work to get to whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I I guess it it all depends, right? You're bringing your hundred. If she's only bringing 50, it's, yeah, you got problems. (laughs) Either way, you know what I mean? Whether it's 50, 50, 100, 100, everybody's got to bring the best of themselves yeah. but you know you can't control the other person and you can't always control the situation that you find yourself in sure so before i want to i want to go into the book and because I, I love the title here it's this very unique situation that i haven't been able to review the book before our conversation intelligence is not enough black person's guide to thriving in the marketplace definitely there's so many things there that i want to dive into but before we do that I really want to get a little more background. We really, we're all about redefining success here. And when we say redefine it, like what are the times that you've had to make big adjustments that you did it proactively or what's a catalytic event that you've been rocked and you've been forced to redefine. So let's back up a little bit and let's look at Carice growing up. I I see where you spent time in South Africa. You're currently in Atlanta, which is my old hometown. Spent almost 50 years of my life there. So uh, give us a little bit of Carice, the early years. (laughs) So I often say when people ask me this question about how did I grow up, I I really narrow it down to four themes. Uh, The first theme is family. I come from a very close-knit family, the type of family where we went to the same church and we celebrate all the holidays together and see each other for Sunday dinner, that that kind of a family. So, you know, we really show up for each other. I think my family is quite generous you know, with with each other and with people in our community. I think that's number one. The second theme I would say is spirituality. 
I went to Catholic school for 13 years. My father's a minister and my family's very deeply rooted in church. You know, the first time I heard the word superintendent was my dad was the superintendent of Sunday school. So, you know, that I think that played a huge part in so, me being a values driven person. So you're a because, preacher's kid. Is that what yeah, I'm hearing? I'm, preacher's a, kid. I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's we, kid. We have to kind of blast that out because there's like a whole different category <laughs> of personalities and people that are PKs that we, yeah, we kind of sure. have this whole thing we need to talk about at some yeah, point. Yeah, for so. sure. For okay, sure. Cool. All right. I'm sorry. Um, to interrupt. I think, Keep going. I think for me, you know, I was getting the values talk at home, at church and at school. So I think that really did influence me being such a values driven person. Like my values dictate everything about how I interact with people and how I expect people to interact with me. I'll say the third theme was music. I grew up in a very musical family. My mom sings, plays the piano and the organ. My grandmother sang, my sister sings. And I think, you know, that just has given me, and music is, you know, it helps me manage my emotions. I mean, I love praise and worship music because of that, because it, it helps me simmer down in a way, you know, and just remember the bigger picture and that, you know, all the things that are stressing me out, hey, there's there's a much bigger, you know, God at play. And there's a much larger purpose. And I think, you know, music is a huge, is a huge part of just how I manage myself and manage my emotions on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and then I'll say the fourth theme is education. I grew up in a family that is very big on education very big on getting as many degrees and letters behind your name as you can. And part of that is what influenced me to write this book is because I realized that that messaging growing up was insufficient in terms of being successful. It takes more than being smart. It takes more than hard work. It takes more than having a bunch of letters after your name. You need other people, you need relationships. You need to understand the, the environments in which you're working so that you can really be successful and have the the level of impact that you truly want to have mm -hmm. I, I like the music thing the first thing that popped to my mind was i i kind of saw this vision of david playing the harp mm. to soothe mm -hmm. saul's soul and I, I agree that music just has that uh that power to to soothe us and calm us and and uh, I think that's cool that you brought that up. What are what are some big and, and all of those are powerful, and I think those are the positive foundations. Mm -hmm. One of the things we don't shy away here is talking about the things that became the challenges. So, yeah. what are some things along the way? Maybe in some of those buckets, because listen, everything's not sunshine and roses, and all even yeah. in you know church world or family world or anything like that. What are what have been some of the big hurdles where you have had to say, okay, I had this as mm. a mindset of success, but I've had to rethink it, re whatever success yeah. looks like there. Um, which one of those, or or something else that might uh, that might uh, come to mind? I would say my first job out of undergrad was definitely a transformative experience for me. I mean, I had always done really well in school. I had a full scholarship to the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. Um, and this job was the first time where I felt like I'm not doing well. And you'll see, you know, Tim, when you read the first page of my book, I talk about I was so despondent and so frustrated that I wanted to get into a car accident so I didn't have to go to work. That's how depressed and sad I was. And I, I didn't, I just couldn't see a way out. You know, and I thought, well, maybe if I get into a car accident, I, I don't want to die. I just need, you know, I just want to like break my right arm so I can't type. I just needed a break, you know, and in my little 23-year-old mind. <laughs> that that was the best I could come up with. But I think that was a real eye-opener for me because I realized just being smart wasn't enough, you know, mm -hmm. but that's what I had been told for 23 years. So now I've got to come up with a new way to navigate the space that I'm in. And I think that experience also led me into a deeper relationship with God because I had literally come to the end of my capacity. I was like, I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure what else I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so I think I turned to my faith, you know, and I started going to a different church where I felt like the message was deeper. It was more thoughtful. It was more, it was giving me more what I needed to mm -hmm. be able to make it through this situation. So I definitely would say that was one of them. I think another one for me was my second job out of undergrad. I 
gone to work for this company. I'm about to date myself, Arthur Anderson. And I just thought mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> we got we'll we'll put a note down in the uh exactly the notes for the younger to people the, to explain yeah, know, what right? happened. There used so, to be so, a big seven and yeah, and <laughs> yeah, absolutely it was a big five at the time. So for those of you that are not familiar with it. There were our big, there were big, a big five accounting firms at the time, right? So it was Deloitte, KPMG, EY, PwC, and Arthur Anderson. Well, Arthur Anderson collapsed while I was there, and that was, you know, was that the Enron just, year? Was that the Enron yes, years? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, anyway, yes. we let's don't go down that road. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I think that for me was a huge, you know, because you you put your faith in this company. You're like, oh, this company's really big, and they'll be around forever, and they've been around for eighty something years, and and I can go here and sort of figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And then you realize that's that's not an option to stay there any longer. You know, and you're and I had just bought a house as it was collapsing. And so you're, you know, you, you for me, it just taught me like well, who is my source? It's not, it's not Arthur Anderson. I ultimately ended up at Deloitte. It's not Deloitte. You know, that is God is the source and he is supplying, you know, my meeting my needs through these organizations, but that's not what you need to put your faith in. That's not what you need to depend on. So I think that was a huge eye-opener for me. And I guess the third one I would say is moving to South Africa. I moved to South Africa in 2011. So I met my husband at Harvard Business School. He's a year ahead of me. And we got married in 2010. And then I moved to South Africa to live with him in 2011. Is he South African? Was he South African? He is not. He is first-generation Zimbabwean-American. So he was born and raised in New York, but his parents were born and raised in Zimbabwe. So mm. I think that for me was, you know, that was a big shift because that was the first time I had to consider and factor in another person in terms of my decisions. You know, yeah. and I think my priorities had to shift because I was married now. And a friend of mine, you know, because obviously there was a lot of angst moving there. My husband had already been there. We were long distance for three and a half years. And, you know, I'm leaving a great life here. You know, I had a great job, great colleagues, a great house, a great church, friends, everything. My whole life was here. But a friend of mine said, you know, God is going to honor you because you honored your marriage. Mm. You know, and that was when I realized, okay, I need to I need to make the shift because, you know, I'm a logical person. So I thought to myself, it'll probably be easier to find another job than it will be to find another husband. So I should probably go to South Africa. So some people might argue that we're not going to go down that road here that I, I don't want to address that issue. Yeah. What part of South Africa were you in? Johannesburg. Johannesburg. I, I, I was in and out of South Africa two or three times during the uh, late nineties. Okay. Johannesburg was, yeah, it's just a big city. Uh, mm-hmm. I really loved Cape town. Yeah. Uh, it's gorgeous. Pre- Pretoria just outside there and Port Elizabeth. Anyway, I was, I was bopping around a good bit. South Africa is a very unique country. And, it, mm-hmm. and you were there during a very interesting time. We don't, we don't want to go down that, but I do want to back up Carice, cause there's something that I, I want to try to unpack just a little bit here yes or no, you were in all likelihood a very good student. Would that be a correct statement? Correct. Yeah, I'm guessing high school, your Catholic upbringing. And and my guess is you seem like someone who was, we don't have to get into details here. My guess is well-behaved. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so you know, preacher's kid. I followed the rules. I, I'm a rule follower. <laughs> because people go one of two ways that are usually preacher's kids. And I'm really Absolutely. picking up on you. We're good with following the rules. My wife is that way. She's really good at following the rules and, and doing things that people, I'm a little bit, a little bit different there. Um, and, and with that, there are expectations that are set for us. And then there's expectations that we have for ourselves. You mentioned a couple of your redefining success moments where the first two were with jobs. Mm. What were your expectations like? Did you have expectations that in all likelihood, I'll throw out some words you can correct me or agree, could never have been met. You were never going to meet them. They might have been beyond your capability. Maybe you were coming out of an academic world and translating into work world was going to be tough. I I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of things I could throw out here. What were your expectations? And do you think it was going to be a challenge just anyway? No, I did not, Tim. 
I thought really? I was, you know, I had sort of ridden this cloud of doing well since uh -huh. kindergarten. And I saw no reason why that trajectory would change at all. Had, Which is why had, I was so surprised when I didn't do, when I wasn't doing well. Had you ever I had anything that was, have you ever had anything that was hard? Had you ever, I mean, because people that are good in school are good in school and they excel. Yeah, I had a couple subjects in school that were really hard for me. Honors chemistry, my sophomore year did not do well. But I think I thought like, oh, it's a blip on the screen. I'm just not good at chemistry, you know? Yeah, um, I also struggled with pre-calculus my senior year. I actually was able to get out of that class. I, I don't know if people drop classes in high school, but I was able to drop that one. I think because it was, it was optional. It wasn't a required course. So I think those two moments, but I think I saw those as just blips on the screen. You know, in a, if you think about, you know, from kindergarten through, you know, graduating from university, those were my two blips. That was it. You know what so I mean? My, so I don't think I saw those as like some sort of sign. Like, Carrie's, you might have to work a little harder. You know what I mean? I just thought, I have this theory over those. Yeah. I have this theory that could be wrong that everyone is going to go through some type of a air quotes again, struggle. Mm -hmm. Mine was Georgia tech. I, I did okay. high school and school growing up outside of Atlanta for me was, it was fairly easy, not a lot mm -hmm. of effort and all to, to excel. It was not an academically rigorous public school that I went to. But but when I went to Georgia Tech, I thought I was decently smart. I found mm -hmm. out, darn it, yeah. I'm not really as smart as I thought I was. That's how I feel about Harvard Business School. I'm like, well, I'll just bring the personality and the jokes here because I'm not. Yeah, I'm just going to bring my smile and yeah, have fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... But, uh, but, but that's interesting. And I, and I, and I appreciate you sharing that because it, it does kind of create a framework for, for where we want to kind of move into, which is kind of this, this discussion about, uh, you know, intelligence is not enough and, and what it means for you're specifically writing this for the, you know, for black professionals. And, you know, I think I want to go ahead and dive into it here because mm -hmm. I, I, for those that may not be able to see this, I'm a white guy. I am. a, <laughs> And sometimes, and, and I just want to kind of share this so we can have this discussion. I don't get it. I I, I hate mm. to say this. I'm, I'm being vulnerable here as vulnerable as I know how, which my generation, we have trouble with that. I, sometimes we don't understand these mm. topics, Carice. And, and I think it's, I don't know if it's ignorance. I don't know if it's just because, I don't know if it's privilege. I don't like that word, but we use it a lot. And and I know it sometimes makes the most sense. I don't really know what it is, mm. but sometimes when I see these things, I go, I just, I'm, I want to understand it. Right. But it's hard for me to make that leap. Can, mm. what is that? When I say that, what bubbles up inside you what do you want to say do you want to I mean if you want to hit me that's fine I'm okay with that. <laughs> if there's something that if um, because I'm sure you've dealt with that I'm sure you've mm. seen it you've you've been in meetings with people like me that walk in and we're oblivious we don't understand yeah some of this stuff so help help us out a little bit and we are okay with any type conversation here gotcha. that uh that wants to come out uh because I'm I'm kind of opening up myself a little bit hopefully mm. yeah I mean, what bubbles up for me is it makes sense that you wouldn't get it, Tim. Right? Because Thanks. it's it's yeah. I guess. It's not your lived experience. And and this is the way I look, I think a lot of times we end up talking a lot about race and gender, but if let's talk about a I don't I'm assuming you don't have a disability. Would that be am I correct in assuming you don't have a disability? <laughs> or at least a visible one, let's say. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not making light of this. There's some that might say I do, but I know I, I wouldn't have anyone that people would classify or qualify as a disability. Gotcha. So, and and gotcha. I, I'm sorry, I probably should not make light of that statement. I apologize. No, no, no it's fine. It's fine. Because the reason I asked is I'm going to use that as an example, right? I also do not have a disability, visible right. or invisible, right? Uh, okay. And if you think about it, when you and I go to a building, when you're going to visit someone or have a meeting, you don't give any thought to how you're going to get inside that building. No. I give no thought to it either, right? right? I don't think about how am I going to get inside? How am I, where am I going to park? Is there an elevator? How am I going to navigate once I'm inside of it? How big are the bathrooms? I don't have to think about any of that stuff. You don't either, right? 
because those buildings were designed for us. Mm -hmm. They were designed for people without disabilities. So that's why we don't have to think about it. And I think the same thing when it comes to the conversation about race or gender, you know, if you've grown up in an environment where pretty much everybody looks like you, or when you go into a, a boardroom or you go into a meeting or an organization and everybody looks like you, it's easy for you not to think about the experience of other people, mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's the same thing, right? Um, and I think it's our, and when we talk about privilege, you know, the way I've heard it explained, which I think could resonate is, is there an aspect of who you are that has not made it more difficult for you? Right. It has not made my life more difficult to not have a disability. It's a, it's made my life easier. Right. Because I don't have to do the planning and the thinking and the trying to navigate a space. Right. You being a white man has not made your life more difficult. It doesn't mean that you haven't had struggle, that you haven't had challenges, that you grew up rich. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means right. that aspect of who you are has not made your life more difficult. Sure. And so that's how I like to talk about privilege. And so when people say, you know, they have, they don't understand it, I get it, right? Because you haven't had to think about it. That makes sense. But I think for me, it's about how can we expose ourselves to different kinds of people, hear other people's stories so that we can be more mindful of somebody else's experience and what the challenges that somebody might be having. So like, for example, when I worked at McKinsey, they had a program where they hired people with disabilities. And one of those folks joined my team. And so we had to go through a course just trying to understand different kinds of disabilities and some of the challenges that they have. And it, I had never thought about how people with disabilities might navigate a building, get inside, move around it. But after I took that course, I, now, and now I think about it. Now, when a friend of mine rented a building, this is when I was still in South Africa, and I walked in and I thought, well, where's the elevator? How's somebody who's in a wheelchair going to be able to get upstairs? And she's like, there's no way for them to. You know what I mean? So it's just, I think it's, and look, going through a course is not going to give me the full understanding of somebody's yeah. experience, but I think it just at least creates an awareness and it makes me think about when I'm in rooms, who's not in this room? What perspective, what voice is not represented here? And how mm -hmm. can we make sure we have that voice and that perspective in the room as we make decisions that could impact people like those folks? I right. hope that answers to it, sort of the answer it, it does so so is that when we hear terms like systemic mm. and and it causes arguments you know one thing that really yeah. bugs me is that these things become politicized by one side or the other i think mm. that i think that harms the conversation truthfully yeah yeah absolutely especially especially in the united states there's there's only two sides that one mm. can choose one side quote unquote seems to be more i'm not sure that it totally is in one's left anyway but mm. when we say systemic yeah what are some things maybe that we need to understand about the systemic nature historical nature whatever we want to call that that needs to be layered into the conversation I mean, I'll give you an example, I think, from my time in South Africa. You know, obviously, we know the history of South Africa, yeah. apartheid, you know, a very unequal education system, people not being allowed to, you know, for being people being forced off of their land into sort of, you know, marginalized into these sort of communities on the outskirts, right? Mm -hmm. Not having the same access to certain opportunities. Um, so all of that sets a group of people back. Right. When you can't own land, you can't own businesses, you can't you're not educated to the full extent. Right. right. Um, and then obviously it takes generations to sort of catch up. You know, but you mm -hmm. you may not have the financial resources. Right. To be able to send your kids to the very best schools because of the, the system that was set up. It's not because mm -hmm. you weren't smart enough. You didn't work hard. It's because the system did not allow you to have the opportunities that would have allowed your family to prosper. Mm -hmm. So you end up maybe going to a second tier school because your family can't afford to send you to a first tier school. And let's right. say, for example, the best companies in that country only recruit at first tier schools. Right. So you can see how it becomes a bit of a cycle. You don't get access to the best opportunities, the highest paying jobs, the highest paying organizations because they don't mm -hmm. even recruit at your school yeah. because they see it as a second tier place. But that's the place that you could afford to go to. 
So you can see, and and the people who are allowed to go to the, who go to those schools, whose parents can afford to pay that tuition, they get access to those jobs and they make more and more money than the other people who couldn't go, who couldn't get access. Right. So you can just see, it just becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. Continues the cycle. And, and I want to, we're going to go into some specifics with the book here, but Mm -hmm. these are, these are the conversations I really do want to have because it helps me i actually am concerned at times that i am sometimes part of the problem and not part of the Mm -hmm. solution and that and that bugs me but then at times i'm not sure exactly what what um, to do to do about it i mean you 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 actually look extremely young but you mentioned some dates that let me know (laughs) that you you've got some i'm a little longer in the tooth than i look uh, Tim, <laughs> you got. We, we, I like to use the word maturity here. I'm I'm hitting sixty this year, and so we like to use the word maturity. But I, I guess one thing that that it grieves me at times when I'm looking out over the horizon, trying mm-hmm. to have these conversations, just looking at things. I I wonder if we're doing better or worse, or if that's not even a good word to use. Mm. I mean, I guess, I guess I'll ask you the question and just let you share whatever, how are we doing? You, you obviously are deep into some of these cultures, these work business cultures that you can have a good gauge. I've, I've been a business owner myself. Now I've worked at Bell South when I came out of Georgia Tech, but I've, I've owned my own business. And truthfully, when you're in your own business, you can create a bubble. You can really create a right. bubble for yourself yeah. because people are attracted to you that are probably like you, or they just like your personality or things like that. And so right. you can kind of be in a little bit of a bubble. Uh, this podcast opens that bubble up a little bit for me, but mm. how are we doing? I mean, listen, here's what I almost said ignorant white people. Here's what ignorant white people say. <laughs> well, we had a black president. Isn't everything okay now? I'm, I'm, mm. Again, that's sort of making something funny that's not. So apologize. Yeah. I'm trying to make no, light I get of you. it. So how are we doing? I mean, on that point, it's so funny you bring that up because I've, I've seen other people make that comment in place. You know, they'll say, well, well, what about Oprah? She made it out. And what about Beyonce and Barack? And, you know, so I'm saying, so I say to people, so you're telling me that I need to be the first black president of the United States, the greatest entertainer, you know, arguably that's ever lived or the most athlete, you know, athlete, yeah, you know, yeah. I need to be the best athlete ever. I need to be the best talk show host in the history of talk shows in order to be okay. And you've named four people, right? Like black people make up 12, 13% of the population. I don't feel like why, why do we have to be so exceptional in order to just be okay? Like, I just want to be an average run-of-the-mill person and be able to have a good life, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to be the best of the best. You know, people, Black people talk about, you know, the magical Negro. You know, you feel like you need to be so perfect and so smart and over-index on all these things just to be okay. But I think, you know, for me, I feel like when Black people can just be mediocre and just be regular and still have a good life, that's when I feel like we will have arrived and we will have made it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think we need to think about how does the average person in the world or in the United States live? And what, do they have access to good education and good health care um, and good child care, you know, mm. so that they can be a productive, contributing member of society? And if, you know, if people don't have access to quality jobs, I think, you know, it sets people back and that sets us all back. I think we have to see that we're more connected, you know, and I saw this a lot when I was in South Africa, you know, a lot of wealthy people, you know, you can opt out of, public health care and public education. You know, mm-hmm. you can live behind gates, but you still have to go to the grocery store and you still have to go to the mall. We still have to be around each other, you know? And, yeah. the, and if everybody's okay, you know, then it makes it safe for me to go out. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you're not okay and you're desperate and you're willing to do anything to feed your family, I might be on the wrong end of that. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so that's why we have to look out for each other. We need to make sure. And look, it's not about trying to make everybody a millionaire. I mean, I think about the the parable of the talents, right? The owner gave one person one talent, gave another one two, gave another one five. Everybody doesn't have equal talents and gifts. And that's okay. But I think from a humanitarian perspective, from from a just humanity perspective, we need to make sure everybody's okay. 
-hmm. And we need to give people the chance to be okay because it benefits all of us. We don't want to live in a society where we don't feel safe going to the grocery store. Where does, I want to, one more general question then I want to mm -hmm. dive into the book and really get some info from that. Because of your spiritual background, growing up in the church and Catholic school and things like that, there are some people that will use the Bible to mm. continue to create wedges. Right. And there's some people that also use the Bible to do things that, anyway, whatever, they, you know, spiritually. Yeah. Spiritually. As followers of Jesus Christ, what do you say that we need to be doing in relation to this issue? It's an excellent question. I mean, I think we need to understand that God loves us all equally. God doesn't place value on certain people and not and you know a lesser value on others. He loves us all. You know, I think about that song by um, oh, is it Elevation Gyra? Mm -hmm. He's he can't love me any more than I'm loved right now. You know what I mean? And I think we need to understand everybody, regardless of if you agree with people's lifestyles and their choices. People deserve to be loved. People deserve respect. People deserve to have their dignity, right? And I think that's what drew people to Jesus. You know, the tax collector and the woman who'd been with five different men, you know, at the, at the, the woman at the well. Like, he treated all of these people with respect and with dignity. And that's why they were drawn to him. And I think as Christians, we need to think about, are we drawing people to us? Or are we, you know preaching people down and just giving people a bunch of scriptures, but are we living? Cause that's the best way to draw people to us is if we are actually living what is in the Bible. And if our lives are just as chaotic and hate filled as somebody who's an unbeliever, that does not draw people to us. They're like, why would I believe in your Jesus? Cause your Jesus is producing this in your life. I don't want that in mind. Right. And so I think we just need to think about, you know, who God truly is God is love and God wants us to love on other people and I think that is our number one job yeah I love that you brought up the woman at the well you know who had been with five because that's that's mm. something that I attempt to guide me I've done a study of the three groups that Jesus spoke with you know the mm -hmm. the sheep which was the woman at the well the wolves the Pharisees the hypocrites of the day which we've got a bunch of those that are out there right yeah, now absolutely those, those are the people that take advantage of the sheep and then there were his mm -hmm. disciples that was leadership and things like that and I so try, and I don't think I do well all the time. I so try to yeah. use what I call woman at the well language because I think that's really what we're supposed to default to most of the time until we yeah. maybe recognize, you know what, this is a wolf. This is not a sheep I'm dealing mm. with, or, mm. or it might be a disciple and all that. So thank you for that, Carice. That was, a, I think, a big help. And I'm glad you, we were able to go down this path to kind of maybe have, I hope it was maybe a mature conversation about some things that the thing that bothers me is that in the soundbite world we're in, yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of people kind of go down this road. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary, right? It, it's scary. It it's scary for you, but I think what people don't also acknowledge, it can be scary for us too. Right. Because I think especially, you know, I'll, I'll speak for most black professionals. I know it's like, we just want to come in and do a good job and get our paycheck and go home and take care of our families, right? We're not trying right. to stand out. We're not trying to be an activist at work. Like we just want to do well. I think we just want to be given a fair shot <clears throat> to do well. You know what I mean? Like I think about when I worked yeah. at Anderson, the partner would come down the aisle and pick up the, there was one guy who worked on the team, pick him up and they would go to lunch. And the women, they, he never took us to lunch and we never thought anything about it. You know, we just thought, well, that's just how it is. And it's funny because I'm still friends with one of the guys at the party used to take to lunch. And he says, Carrie's, I never thought about the fact that we never took women. It never even dawned on me. You know, and I just think about what was the, not just the food, but the relationships that were built, the advice that was given, the sponsorship, the mentorship that happened during those lunches that we, the women never had a chance to get. You know yeah. what I mean? And so that's what I mean about the fair shot at success and thinking about who gets what opportunities. 
And, you know, if people are listening, who do you give quality feedback to versus not? Who do you give those prime opportunities to versus not? You know, are you giving people the coaching and the, the feedback that they need to be successful? Give people mm-hmm. a shot. And if they don't, you know, maximize it, that's on them. Mm-hmm. But you got to at least try to be fair about who's getting those opportunities so that you're giving people a fair shot to be successful in that space. Yeah. It's like, who do you hang out with? Because you know what, when people hang out is when they often will let their guard down, they'll share things, you'll learn more about them. You learn, I think you learn strengths and weaknesses and Mm -hmm. things like that. So somewhere along, somewhere along the way, you decided that intelligence was not enough Mm. (laughs) because many of us, many of us would like to say, just do the dang job. Just, just do the job. Everything else doesn't matter. Just do the job. But you even took the time to write a book that it says intelligence is not enough. Yeah. And you specifically directed this to the, uh, to the black professional. What, what, yeah. what was the catalyst? What was the catalyst for the book? I mean, I was working at McKinsey in South Africa, you know, Anybody that knows anything about South Africa, South Africa is like 90, 85, 90% black, right? And I think because of that, I was seeing a lot of black professionals in a bunch of different spaces that I felt like were struggling. Mm. You know, really bright, had been able to go to the, you know, quote unquote, best schools in South Africa, majored in the right topics, you know, but when they came into that space, they didn't really understand where they had come to. And I was really surprised, Tim, because I thought, how is this possible? You know, because when I came out of undergrad in 1998, you know, the internet was five pages long and you get through it in about seven minutes, right? So it was not a resource. (laughs) People didn't even know what it really was at that time. But fast forward 14 years later, I'm working at McKinsey and I'm thinking these kids have the internet, they have social media, they've got online books, they've got online courses. They've got all these resources that I didn't have. But what I realized is, when you don't know what you don't know, you don't even know you should be accessing this treasure trove of information. And I wanted to just put in a book to say, guys, this is what you need to be thinking about. These are the questions you need to be asking. This is the feedback you need to be getting. This is the mindset with which you need to approach work if you want to be successful. And I don't presume to have all of the answers, but I've got a lot of the questions you should ask. And that's what I try to share in the book is what are those questions you need to be asking in your environment to figure out what does it take to be successful here? Because what it takes to be successful in company A could be completely different for what it takes to be successful in company B. And the only way you're going to find that out is to listen, to observe, and to ask a lot of questions. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things I also say is that even though, you know, I, I talk a lot about, and I talk a fair amount in my book about how Black people are socialized and how that sometimes impacts how we show up at work. Mm. So I think a lot of us have grown up in homes where you are to be seen and not heard. So you don't really develop your own voice and you don't really know how to advocate for yourself. You know, I grew up in a home that was, you know, kind of patriarchal, you know, so that's why I think I was okay when that partner would come down the aisle and wouldn't take the women to lunch because I just thought, well, that's just how it is you know, or to be, you know, a good Southern woman, I needed to be demure and I needed to be agreeable. You know, so sometimes <laughs> I took projects that were not the best for me because I was, you know, on some levels told as a woman, you need to tone it down and just kind of go with the flow. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to get people to examine how they've been socialized, the messages we've been given. Even, it's funny, Tim, I've spoken to audiences in Africa and the U.S. and Europe And one of the things I say that resonates with everybody I'm usually on calls with is when I say a lot of our well-meaning black family and friends have told us when you go to work, put your head down, work hard. Don't tell those people your business. They're not your friends. You didn't go there to make friends. If you tell them your business, they're going to probably use it against you. All right. So that is the message that I think a lot of us have gotten. Right. It's probably rooted in a whole bunch of truth and a whole bunch of bad experiences. But that advice does not serve us well when we go into these highly collaborative, relationship-driven organizations. You got to open up, right? Because nobody's going to trust somebody they don't know anything about. 
Yeah. And so if you want to get that mentorship, that sponsorship, if you want people to invest in your development, you're going to have to share something about yourself. And we have been, a lot of us have been told the complete opposite. And that, I think that's one of the things I really wanted to interrogate and get people to think about. I did a, uh, I did a solo podcast episode recently as an executive coach. I noticed that emotional intelligence is one of the things that really separates people out. Mm. And so I, I did some teaching or you know, I talked a little bit about emotional intelligence and some of the basics on it. But one of the things that I did not do was integrate the cultural aspect of emotional intelligence because everything, uh, not everything, a good portion of what you just brought up to me kind of fits into this emotional intelligence, which is systemic, in so, which is systemic in so many ways. I uh, listen, I walk into a meeting and if I'm the low man on the totem pole and there are 25 other people, I have no problem speaking up. Yeah. I don't. Now, some might say that's just because you're a little bit obnoxious, Tim. No, it's it's really, I feel as if I've got a seat at the table. But what, what I just heard you say was that many people culturally, they don't feel like they have a seat at the table they are still in a servant type role, even Absolutely. though they're around the same table, like there's layers to the table, like there's people around the table and there's people mm -hmm. up against the wall. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you, how do you, because some of that could be generational and goes yeah, way back. Yeah, it definitely is. So how does, one, is. how does one get that? Because I actually do think that goes beyond just, sometimes it goes beyond race and color. I think it's also sex. Mm -hmm. I think it's also yeah, you know, gender. Absolutely. And so how does someone get that? What are some things that mm. they do? I'm guessing that you cover that. Give some, I don't know, teaching, some yeah. ideas that can help with that. And also give some ideas for someone like me who's sitting there thinking they're living large and in charge. Yeah. And running the yeah. meeting, even though I may not be. Yeah. I mean, I think on the first part, right? I mean, one of the things I saw a lot in South Africa is, you know, African culture in general is very hierarchical, you know, mm. so it's very based on age and sort of birth order. And I think gender also plays a role in that as well. And, you know, you're taught to, you don't interrupt people. You don't talk over people. You don't challenge people in authority. And then, so you, mm. you've been sort of socialized in that way for the first, you know, 20 something years of your life. And then you go into a corporate and people are like, well, no, you got to interrupt people if you want to get your point across, or you're going to have to challenge that person who's two rungs higher on the org chart than you, right? You know, when we're doing a problem solving session or when we're having a discussion about a next step. So I think one of the things I've tried to impress to people is the way you operate culturally or personally, you may have to shift how you operate professionally. And being able to be fluid and flexible is super important. And I think we're smart enough to be able to do that you know, to be able to gauge that environment and say, you know what, I know that I wasn't necessarily raised this way, but if I want to be effective and have impact in this environment, if I want to get my point across, I'm going to have to learn how to be a little bit different. Mm. And, it, and in this environment, it doesn't equate to disrespect to interrupt someone or to challenge someone. So just, I think, thinking about where you are and what your ultimate end goal is, goal is which is to be impactful. And to make a change and to perform at a high level, I think we have to learn to be a little bit more flexible and realize, hey, I might interrupt people and challenge people in authority when I'm at work. But when I go home, I might have to tone that down. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of that was funny. Even I share an example in my book, a guy that I met when I was in South Africa, a white guy, he was talking about his family was thinking about bringing a exchange student into the house. And the parents gave them all a vote. Even the kids had a vote. And everybody's vote was equal. And I was like, that would not happen in a black family. <laughs> Your parents would just show up with somebody. I don't like, like it yeah. either. I don't, I don't like, like the thought like, of move it. Over. Move over. You're sharing your, your room with this person now, you know? So I just, yeah. I think even that sort of socialization, because it teaches you that you matter. You have a voice. Your voice counts. And so when, you have, when you've grown up in that kind of home, it's no wonder you can show up to a meeting and feel like you have an opinion that is worth sharing. Whereas if you haven't been socialized that way, it's gonna take a little bit of work and you can get better and better and better at it over time with a lot of practice. 
Yeah. Carice, is there a, um, is there also a mindset shift that has to occur? Let me, let me tell you what popped in my head as you were talking Mm -hmm. there. I, I know that there's some people, if we were to tell them speak up and challenge, they will take that as permission to go from, let's use maybe a volume thing mm-hmm. to a two to 11. Yeah. <laughs> Which listen, it, <laughs> it can scare some people. I mean, I've had this conversation with, with women that, you know, men can raise their voices at times in situations that women can't. I'm sorry that yeah. I, I hate to say that. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Men, yeah. men get scared around strong men, women there. I said it. Um <laughs> But is it is it isn't there really a mindset? And this maybe go to something that really is deep systemic. I've been in boardrooms. I've been with you know, you know people that are financially far beyond where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I've been in situations with you know political leaders, things like that. And I have never walked in thinking I am less than them. Now, some of that could be my mindset. Again, yeah. I'm a little bit can can be arrogant, confident, whatever the right word is. But if someone automatically thinks they're subservient or in a role that's mm-hmm. less, yeah, then they're going to automatically, that mindset is positioning themselves to do whatever they're told, to be quiet, be neither seen mm. nor heard. Yeah. And yeah. so, so what, I mean, and I don't know if you've addressed some of this, but what do we need to do for that mindset to get more on you are worthy, you are equal? Yes, there's titles within yeah. this meeting or situation, but everybody's people. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think Tim, we need people who look like you to pull us into those conversations, you know, to say, Carice, I haven't heard from you. What do you think? Your, your opinion is important to me. I value your perspective, but I haven't have, and I haven't heard from you today. What do you think about this idea or about this way forward? I think there's, there's that allyship because there are things that you can say that are going to have a whole lot more weight than when I say them. You know what yeah. I mean? Because mine is sort of colored with, oh, she's just saying that because she's black or she's saying that because she's a woman. Right. Whereas when you say it, people are going to be like, okay. And that I think that is what we need from allies. We need you all to speak up, to advocate, to use the power, the privilege that you have as a white man to be able to open up the space for other opinions. I think you asking who's not in this room, you know, especially I think when you're in a consumer business, right? We're making decisions or coming up with ideas to serve our customers. And these people are not represented in this room. Whose perspective is not in this room, I think is super important. Mm. Um, And, you know, I just, and when you see things that are not right, speaking up and challenging those things, I think is super important too. And it's not always about trying to, chastise or embarrass somebody sometimes it's asking a question that lets people know like i think we need to rethink that that comment you just made what exactly did you mean by that what was what was behind that and getting Mm -hmm. people to understand what is the impact of some of those comments and how they could maybe have rephrased it differently or probably not said it at all i think the other thing is you know i often i don't know if you've ever seen this picture um it was it was by this photographer i don't even know the photographer's name but it's a little white girl standing at a store looking at a bunch of dolls, but all the dolls are black. Mm-hmm. And I think just the visual of that, you know, when you're in a space all day long looking at people who don't look like you, when you look mm-hmm. at, you know, the history of your company, the history of this country, you know, we've had one black president in all these hundreds of years, right? You don't have a lot of visuals to affirm you as a person. And that's why Black people have created things like, you know, Miss Black America and the BET Awards and all of these things, because we were not getting affirmed out in the broader world. And so we had to do it for ourselves. Yeah. You know, but like the companies I've worked, I've not worked for Black companies. I've worked for majority white companies. And so, you know, somebody who's not Black could definitely pick up my book and get a lot of good wisdom and tips out of it. But, you know, obviously I was thinking of a Black professional when I wrote it, but I think that's that's the importance of having diverse organizations because you need to see yourself reflected in the people around you to make you think that, yeah, okay, well, this person did it so I could do it too. Because when you don't see that, it's harder for you to believe that you could do it. 
You know, you're like, am I going to be the one to break through the, the ceiling? Am I, I'm going to be the first one. Nobody was good enough to get it before me. But somebody has to be the first. But sometimes I think you struggle to think that it could be you. You know, and that's why I think it's important that companies think about diversity because that visual representation is hugely important. Because think about if you lived in a world where everybody around you was black and you didn't see any white people that were in leadership or in management or running businesses. That works on your psyche over time. You know what I mean? And you got to work real hard to believe that you could do it in spite of what you see in front of you. Right. I I like I like what you did there that I asked a question. (laughs) about mindset and youth and I'm, I'm, I'm not reeling. I'm hopefully trying to accept you turned it around mm. on me. Mm. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Woo. You're good. We, we've, been doing, um, we've been doing a lot of our work over here, Tim. We need y'all to do some work now. <laughs> yeah. And, and here's the thing that bothers me. Yeah. I, I uh, this is confession. I, I, I don't know that we're well equipped or well able to Mm. to to do that and i don't know if it's because i don't know because we're self-centered i don't know if it's because we don't want to give up control i don't know if it's all of that yeah it's probably some of all of that and you don't have to yeah i don't don't have to understand that experience yeah yeah Yeah. and there's like you said there's a lot going on and look this is the thing i mean my book is written to a black professional nice to be honest i don't talk about race or racism very much in my book at all because i don't feel like that's a problem for black people to fix. That's not something that we, we didn't create these structures and systems. So it's not our job to fix them. What I'm trying to tell people in my book is these are the things you can be responsible for. Mm -hmm. These are the things that are within you. You are 150% in control of how you show up. Right. And your own mindset and your behavior and how you dress and how you communicate and how you deliver and how you manage your relationships. So that is the main focus of my book is to help people think about managing your mindset, managing your relationships and how you deliver. So I'm very much about, you know, managing self. But while I've got Mm -hmm. this nice white man who's asking me, I figure I'll throw out some questions about what you can do. Well, I like it because I actually am going to follow that up Mm -hmm. because we get a lot of business owners, leaders of organizations, things like that, that listen in go ahead and t- you know what what value can it have for us to get this book and read mm. it uh yeah you know, are there certain chapters or there certain things or read the whole thing highlight it everything or just get the concept what 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 should we get from it and then i'm going to ask yeah. you about the very specific um target audience that you have mm. i definitely think it's great when we read books of people who are different than us Because if you think about it, Tim, a lot of times our lives are a big old echo chamber. I think especially for white people, because you work for white organizations, you live in white neighborhoods, you worship in white churches, you socialize with people who are white. (laughs) So it's very easy to only understand that perspective. I mean, I saw an article years ago that said 75% of white Americans, only 1% of their social circle is people of color. That includes Asians, Blacks, Latinx, right? So it just goes to show you people don't have a lot of exposure. So I think for me, if I was a white person, reading this book gives you a different perspective on what people are struggling with and why they might not be showing up in the way that you expect them to show up. Yeah. Because I think all we can do is judge each other's behavior, but I think understanding what is the mindset behind that behavior and, and then trying to think about what can I do to create a psychologically safe place for a person of color, for somebody with a disability, for someone who doesn't come from this background, like me. I mean, I was the first person in my family to work in a corporate. I had no network and no sense of what I was stepping into and no one around me could help me. Mm. So everything I've learned, I've kind of learned through trial and error, but I think the more we understand each other's backgrounds, we can help each other and mentor. And and I think that sponsorship. The other thing I would say to people is look at your mentee groups. Look at the people that you're sponsoring at work. Do they all look like you? You know, is everybody the same? Can you, and I'm not saying you need to kick people out of your sponsee or mentee groups, but expand, get some people in those groups that don't look like everybody else or don't look like you, you know, and that doesn't take a policy change at your organization. All it takes is for you to reach out and connect with someone. 
I think mm-hmm. is is super important. So those those are the things, you know, and I think just as a manager, as a leader, think about who you're giving those opportunities to. Who are you giving quality feedback to? Who are you spending more time coaching than others? Like that partner, who are you taking to lunch? You know, and who's missing from that lunch group? You know what I mean? So really being intentional about about who you sort of coach and mentor and sponsor and trying to expand those groups to include people who are different than you. Yeah, I, I like all that. I think one of the things that really stands out that I have great concern about all of us in today's world is the bubbles that we're creating mm, and yeah. that the algorithms that oh, we yeah. all participate in are are just using and mm-hmm. all of a sudden we have these thoughts we click on something and we just get really wedged into people that look think act, absolutely live whatever like us I, I i think one of the most powerful things you just said there is just get out of your on own circle yeah, yeah. even on use social media you know. to do it we yeah. follow people you know the the algorithm recommends people that we've that are similar to the ones we've already been following Think mm. about searching for different profiles of people to follow so you can get different perspectives, even, you know, at your fingertips, right? That yeah. is an easy way to be able to sort of expand your perspective and your exposure. I joined a Facebook group recently that was people that are reading Christian fiction. And when I got accepted into the group, I realized it was all women. Mm. <laughs> And my first post, I just kind of looked around. I said, is it okay for guys to be here? And then they kind of piled on. I could tell that I'm not reading the same things that mm-hmm. <laughs> reading, yeah. but, yeah. you know, just a different perspective. I think that is awesome, Carice. Thanks for that. What I want to do right now is I want to allow you to speak directly to that target audience mm. and tell the target audience why they need, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of the peripheral of the audience and it's okay, mm-hmm. I think, but the target audience, that black professional, the black person's guide to thriving, thriving. I love that word in the marketplace. Why do they need to get the book? And then I've got a couple of questions that we'll wrap up with here. Sure. I will say a couple of things. I think, you know, first of all, the framework for my book is know yourself, know others, know your environment, integrate those three and build a personal brand and a communication style that allows you to have maximum impact. So I'm sharing those unwritten rules of success for performing well in those, in those high-performing environments. So, you know, if you're somebody who's working in a high-performing environment and you're struggling or, you know, you want to be able to take your performance to the next level, if you're somewhere between right out of undergrad to maybe 10 years into your career, grab a copy of my book. I promise you, you know, my book was originally published in South Africa in um, 2021. So it's been out for two years and the feedback I've been getting via LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook has been outstanding. I'm not just saying that because I wrote it, but it's a very real, well-written book. I think the other thing is I'm sharing advice from the 30 professionals that I interviewed for the book. All of them are black, that they've been educated and worked and lived in Africa, the US, Europe. They're part of my network. So I'm not just sharing my career advice, but I'm also sharing theirs too. So you get the benefit of that. And I would just say, you know, the places that I've worked, I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes and I don't want you all to make the same mistakes. I want you to go make new mistakes, not the same ones I made in 1998. And so I encourage you to just go to Amazon, grab a copy of the book, connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'd love to hear from people. And yeah, that's that's why I think, you know, the book is super powerful and I've got the feedback to, to back that up. So go grab a copy. Yeah. Tell people where they can find it and connect with you. And then I've got one more question. So just do it, do a quick commercial. Where, yeah, where do yeah. they need to go to get it? I guess the typical Amazon.com, Walmart.com, Barnes and Noble. And you can also go to my website as well at carriesanderson.com and follow me. Like I said, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as well under my name. Very good. We'll have all the links so that people can connect with you uh, down in the notes uh, below the episode here. Carice, we, I, I've so enjoyed the conversation. We are seek, go, create here, those three words. I'm going to give you one of those words kind of as resonates with you, means more to you right now uh, over the other two. Uh, tell us what that word is and why, and then I'll do a quick wrap up. I would say create. 
I think resonates the most with me because I think, you know, in my living, you know, I lived in South Africa for 10 years and I see it here in the U.S. too. I think we need good executors in the world. I think it's not enough to just have great ideas and to be a strategic thinker. I think we need people who know how to get it done. And that's why I'm, I'm choosing the create word. Because I think I'm one of those people. I know how to get it done. <laughs> I believe that you You're can looking get at it writing done. this book. I'm like, how did I do that? And I had a full-time job. But Gosh. you just I, I, you just got to get it done, guys. We, yeah, and it doesn't have to be perfect. But just start. Begin. Yeah. And just keep iterating. I love that. I, I so appreciate the... I don't know if maturity is the right word of this conversation. I don't, I don't know what the right term is. Maybe it's, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal, but I, I appreciate you being here and I appreciate you allowing me to kind of wander down a path that uh, hopefully will help somebody listening in. Hopefully it will maybe move the needle a little bit of all that's going on. I highly recommend if you've listened in that you go get this book and I don't, think it matters whether you're in the target audience or not I'm going to and what I highly recommend is that whoever popped in your mind while we were having this conversation and you said they need this book I highly recommend you send them a, a link of this audio or if you're on YouTube or if you're on one of our socials where we promote it connect that person and say you need to listen to this I just, I, it's my desire that some of the conversations that we have here, that we're having more instead of places that have 140 characters or a 30 second soundbite, that we're able to have more conversations like this and that they're helpful so that we can begin having more of what we called earlier, woman at the well language instead of uh, yelling, screaming, whatever might be language. Yeah, so it's sure. been very Carissa, it's been very helpful for me. There are a couple of things that stung me a little bit, maybe more than a little <laughs> bit. And I want to say I appreciate that. I do I do appreciate that because I'm I'm attempting even at my the young age that I'm at to continue stretching myself and learning more. So I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you listening in. We have new episodes every Monday at Seek Go Create. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.